The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. I want to thank you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you have joined us. And uh, we've got another great program for you today, as always. Thank you for making your comments on our Facebook page. Thank you for liking the Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook. It's great. It's getting the word out. We thank you for your participation. And uh, thank you for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other communities know about Spirit of Recovery I love the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of spirituality and recovery right here on unityonlineradio.org. And also, I want to thank you for your emails, uh, for letting us know how it's going for you and your recovery and your spirituality walk. And uh, thank you, too, for letting me know that the guests that I have on here are really making a difference for you because they always are people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and many times, of course, all the above. And my guests are always people that are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative, and we're always talking about topics that are important to the recovery community. So um, we're grateful for the opportunity to bring you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live via your computer, via your smart device. You also can listen on demand. We've got lots of great archives. Simply go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery, and you can find lots of great, inspiring programs on that. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, um, you're welcome here. It may be that you're um, a person that's in recovery either as a person with a primary addiction or as a family member or friend in your own recovery as a family member or friend or maybe you're just curious about the process of recovery, you're just interested in looking for some more information Whoever you are, we're glad you're listening, and you're very welcome to either send in an email or call in if you've got a comment or a question for my guest um, today. We're, we're just glad that you're here, and you're welcome to participate in the discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor, and I'm also a person that has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction And this month of May 2015, 34 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that I am so grateful for because they got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And it's made a huge, made my life hugely different. And I'm so grateful. Um, It's transformative for me. And my walk continues to be an integration of unity and recovery principles. And that keeps on transforming my life and keeps me growing in deeper ways. So I'm delighted, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you to bring great guests and also to hear 
what you're experiencing in your spirituality and your recovery, recovery walk. I want to let you know also that if you would like to financially support the great programs like Spirit of Recovery and the other wonderful programs on UnityOnlineRadio.org, you can do that by uh, texting through your smartphone Unity Radio to 72727 and uh, you can make a one-time or recurring financial contribution and all that goes to support Unity Online Radio. Our topic today is practicing the presence. You know, um, our whole perspective on life changes when we wake up to the presence of spirit in our lives and we shift from a fearful, self-centered survival mode, a way of being to a whole different point of view, to peace and graciousness toward ourselves and all people. And uh, we know that that's a process. It's a lifelong learning process. And uh, we're continually waking up to that presence of spirit. My guest today is a person who really has experienced that awakening and continues to experience it. My guest is Scott L. Scott is a person in long-term recovery, and he's going to be sharing with us today how his life has moved from addiction and uh, the experience of incarceration to a deep commitment to spiritual practice and to a spiritual way of life. So, Scott, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, Anna. I'm glad to be here. We're glad you're here, and um, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to share with us. Scott, would you share with us, first off, what got you into recovery? How did you get into this process that we call recovery? Well, <laughs> that's not an easy question to answer. It's long and tedious, but I'll try to make it as short as I can. Um, right. Originally, I started out as a drug addict in my life, and... Uh, Got married, you know, went through life, went to college and everything, got married. And uh, we were about to have a child. And this was around the year of 1986. And so I felt that necessary that I put myself in a rehab so that I'm not the person that I thought I was for my daughter, my future daughter to be, to see. So I did that. And I went in solely to get drugs out of my system and to be a kinder, gentler person to my daughter and and wife at that time. And I did not hear anything about alcohol. So when I finished my 38 days of rehab, I came out thinking that alcohol was a social, uh, was part of my social life so I could still drink and, uh, that drugs weren't, so I quit doing drugs and went to AA and CA, and uh, I didn't attend AA, and anything that was talked about mind-altering, I did not perceive as alcohol being. Mm -hmm. That lasted approximately three years. Uh, After that three years, I uh, basically got divorced, uh, lost everything I had gained, and uh, moved back to the hometown I grew up in, which is in western New York from Louisville, Kentucky. And like a good addict alcoholic, I went right back to what I knew. And I started drinking and drugging again. And met my second wife, which was always good. Women were always a good savior for me to uh, dump my load of troubles and woes, my little hurricane I carried around on. Mm-hmm. And so she got pregnant, so I entered my second rehab. And these were all on my own volitions. I had had legal battles, but enablers helped me get out of those. Um, I had a very good source of enabling. And uh, so I went to rehab again, this time for alcohol, and I admitted I'd done drugs, but that was cool with me now. And... Uh, being the saboteur that I am, that lasted another three years. <laughs> it seems like my life was a cycle of three years in, three years out, three years in, three years out. And I got divorced from her. I had two children with her and one with my first wife. And I uh, I, I, I got a kiss from God and didn't realize it then. I, I was able to get a, a job that... Uh, I rose up very quickly, and um, it was a Fortune 500 corporation, and uh, I was doing very well with them. And uh, they transferred me to Sarasota, Florida, from Buffalo, New York, 
And I was working there, and while there, I, I got an opportunity to be advanced to corporate office in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I took it, and I moved from Sarasota to Indianapolis. And I was doing real well there for about a year, and I needed another woman in my life, so I found one. And we were engaged, and we were due to get married. And I came home one night and found her uh, sleeping with another man in my home. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I committed the crime I went to prison for, um, which was bodily injury on two human beings, uh, violent. I went into a rage. You know, that could have been for me a moment of epiphany saying, thank you. You told me what I needed to know and turned around and walked away or dive into rage is what I did. I was arrested for attempted murder and, uh, I took a plea agreement for aggravated battery, which got me a, a, a total of 18 years in the penitentiary. Um, while in the penitentiary, I, I'll get into prison later, but uh, while I was in the penitentiary, that's where I found my true recovery. Um, about, I forget the exact time or what the circumstances were, but I, be, I began hanging around people. I st- When I first went in the pen, I still used for about eight or nine months. I, my bunkie made hooch. My next-door neighbor sold dope. So I used. I tried to drown my sorrows with that. And uh, finally, it came to a, one evening. I had, uh, I had a thought in my head that I'd just get off everything I could and see if I could just end it there. I don't know if I was really thinking that, but when I look back in hindsight, I believe I tried to end my life at that time. Mm-hmm. And when I, when, I, when I came to the next morning, because like a good alcoholic or drug addict, it didn't work. Uh, I came to the next morning, and I walked out of my cell. And my accountability, accountability partner at that time, but my guy that I used to walk the track with at that time was there. And he goes, he didn't even live in my house, so he shouldn't even have been there. He was outside my door, and he looks dead me in the face and goes, so, have you had enough? <laughs> and and I was I was so weak and broken at that point, I said yes. And that's what changed my life and got me into recovery. Um, so <laughs> really, truly, my, my recovery did begin in prison. And uh, a, good, a good majority of it today, while free and on the outside, is still prison sobriety and and cleanliness. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like that uh, that it took for you to get to that place where you, you know, really did feel like I don't, I don't have anything else. I'm, I'm willing to let it go. I, I, yeah, I did. I really didn't have anything else because by that time, my enabler was my mother, father, family, um, mm-hmm. earthly family, mm-hmm. um, and. My father was a World War II vet, and he didn't like the idea that his youngest son was in the penitentiary. That was just against his standards. That's not what he went to Europe to play for. And so I was kind of cut off. It took a great deal of time before he and I reconciled and, and actually got to say, you know, I, was, I make amends to him mm-hmm. uh, in person before he died. You know, I lost both my parents while in the penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Scott, would you share with us and again? It's it's a for in terms of family members and enabling, and I know there's no one right answer to this, but it's such a challenge a lot of times for families because they love, you know, their per- person if it's the spouse or the child or whatever, and they want to do good stuff. But yet, a lot of times, families, unless they're in their own recovery process, kind of are part of the problem. They're enabling. What are some of the things? And we're not criticizing your family here, but I'm just asking in no. general. What are some things that, how, how was it that some, maybe some of the stuff they did was part of the problem instead of part of the solution for you? What was it that wasn't helpful? Having, having looked at it, done my 12 steps, having looked at that, I have uh, come to the conclusion that I, I, I could lie in such a way to them that they believe it. Uh-huh. And I, I believed it first, but I could mm-hmm. convince them to believe it. And right. a great deal of it was if I got arrested in our in our area where I grew up, 
my father's business people and and the, the, his stature in the community got me off. Mm-hmm. And as I progressed, and things got worse and worse and worse until the final occurrence of being sentenced, um, it was a financial calling. And I knew that if I said the right things, I could get it from him mm-hmm. or, or from my mother. You know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd lay the sad story on, and they'd accept it and give it to me. And I knew mm-hmm. this. And when I got into the penitentiary, the one thing you don't have in the pen is money, unless mm-hmm. you have a job, and it's very minimal. I think the most I made in the pen was like uh, $64 a month, and I had to live off that. You know, mm-hmm. I had to get all my toiletries and supplies with that money. So my calls would have been originally for money. You know, if mm-hmm. you can afford it, send it to me. If you can't, that's cool. And so I couldn't do that. So I couldn't face up to him because I thought the only thing I could ask for was money from him. And I thought that I had to ask something from him. And I knew that if I did, that he'd have, I'd, I'd put him in such a state that he would do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, very loving man. Great childhood I had. They're, they're loving parents. My mother was a giver and my father was a, a, do, a, a doer. You know, he did things for people people don't normally do. He was mm-hmm. one of the old handshake guys. If you shook his hand, you better remember what you said. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. I played on that. Right. So it was like part of the, the addiction for you was, as you say, make stories that you really believe. That Sometimes I think family members wonder, how come I'm so convinced and sometimes it is because of just what you're saying, because the the person who's addicted believes it's reality, and so it's it is exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the case. You know, I it's like all the readings that you read in recovery. I believed my own lies. I believed the lie that I I told myself that I was living. You know, because I thought I was living a great life. Everything was hunky dory. I was making good money. I had a car. I had a home. I had family, but I really didn't. I was a sperm donor to my children for all intents and purposes. You know, I spent what little money I could afford not to spend on drugs and alcohol to my kids, but it was never enough. Uh, today, I'm in arrears because of it, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I do the best I can today with a good heart as opposed to then it was drugs and alcohol first, bills so I could keep a roof over my head. And then if I had a little left, I'd dish it out that way. You know, mm-hmm. it was never them before the bills. It was never them before the addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I appreciate you saying that because, again, kind of thinking about family members, a lot of times it's hard for family members to grasp that, that because of the addiction, that the romance with the addiction, with the chemical or if it's a behavior like gambling or something, that's always going to come first. And it's not because always. the addicted person doesn't love them. It's because the addiction is, is primary. And that gets so confusing. Right. What would you say to family yeah. members about, I mean, you've already been saying it, but is there anything else or not that you would say to family members about say that? Say to family members, yeah, put your foot down. Say okay. no. Mm-hmm. You know, what I needed was somebody to say no to me. What I needed was a judge to bang a gavel. You are not fit to live in freedom. I'm going to incarcerate you for 18 years behind a concrete wall, steel bars, rock-hard bed, and you're going to endure it. All right. Well, on that note. That's horrid. It is. We're going to to hang on to that on that strong boundary. We're going to take our first break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Our topic today is practicing the presence. My guest is Scott L., a person in long-term recovery. And he's sharing with us how his life is transformed. We'll be right back. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. 
Thank you for your support. He's the most talked about figure in history. How do you see Jesus? As a savior, a way shower, a mythical hero. In his cutting-edge new book, Jesus 2.1, an upgrade for the 21st century, Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard explores the many human concepts of Jesus. The man of Nazareth has been an imaginary spiritual playmate for millions. Best friend, confidant, silent lover, surrogate father, brother, husband, trusted king when earthly governments fail, all-purpose superhero who will save the day before the final credits roll. Jesus is like a program that has been adapted through the ages while the basic code remains undisturbed despite all subsequent modifications. Now it is our time to rewrite and reinstall the Jesus program with updates for today, just as every previous generation has done and every subsequent generation will do. The Romans killed Jesus for being a revolutionary. Every succeeding generation kills him anew by losing sight of the ongoing revolution in human consciousness that he represents. Explore the new book, Jesus 2.1, at www.shopunity.org. Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host, and our topic today is Practicing the Presence. And uh, my guest is Scott L. Scott is a person in long-term recovery, and he's sharing with us today how his life has moved from addiction and incarceration to a deep commitment to a spiritual practice and spiritual living. Before I get back to my conversation with Scott, I'd invite you to join me in a brief moment of meditation, our Serenity Minute. I invite you to relax. To, uh, in a moment, we'll share a constructive idea. So feel that relaxation as it moves from the crown of your head throughout your body temple. Be aware of your breath. Center yourself in that breath in this present moment. And share with me this constructive idea. I trust my higher power to bring me into the fullness of my spiritual life. I trust my higher power to bring me into the fullness of my spiritual life. And we take a moment in the quiet. joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I hope that that was an opportunity for you to take just a moment to relax and make that conscious contact with your higher power. And now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Scott L., and we're talking about practicing the presence. So, Scott, before the break, you were um, telling us about that for you it needed some pretty, 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 pretty strong boundaries for you to uh, to get your attention, I guess. I don't know, maybe frame sure. that a different way. But um, for that incarceration process, and you shared with us too earlier that um, it was while you were in prison that you had um, your first awareness, your first real spiritual awakening about it's time. I'm ready to make something different in my life. I'm ready to uh, get into a different frame. So how was how did your life get different you were still in prison you shared with me that you got finished with prison in 2012 so when you began your recovery process you were in in prison 
So, how did you? Yep. What's that like? How did your life get different? Well, God works in mysterious ways. Man. <laughs> All right. The man I used to walk the yard with was a Muslim, ah. <laughs> and he wasn't. Uh, he was a nonviolent Muslim. I'll put it that way. And he was very careful with his words. And during the whole process while I was using, he would say certain things that would give me food for thought for the day or in my moments of weakness or whatever I want to call them today. And uh, when he met me outside my cell and asked me if he was, if I was ready and I said yes, that was his green light to, to pour it on. And he did. And he said, look, I, I'm not trying to make you a Muslim. I'm not trying to make you anything but that. And that helped because he was not pushy. I wasn't into pushy. You know, pushy didn't make it with me before, and I didn't think it was going to then, but I didn't know that I had to change my thoughts to change my life until later. And uh, he became an accountability partner. I got to speak with him. I felt comfortable with him, and I believe that that's a big part in my life today, although I don't speak with him as much, I speak with others. And uh, as we walked, he goes, he goes, what's your spiritual life like? And I told him about my traditional Christian upbringing and that the God of my parents isn't my God today. And uh, so he asked me what, who my, what my God was, and I, I gave him a, a whole home explanation of it. And he said, well, if you're not sure of what you're praying to when you pray without saying, I need, I want, send me, you know, that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. other prayers that we pray for, for other people and things, um, he goes, uh, he goes, go to the library. He goes, look up Muslims, look up Hinduism, look up Taoism, look up Buddhism. And, and so I started, I got on the e-library and I had books sent into me and, uh, I saw a book in, in a, mag, a spiritual magazine uh, written by uh, Stephen, oh, it's Byron Katie, significant other, Stephen Mitchell. Right. Uh, and, uh, and it was on Taoism. And I read it, and there were things that just clicked and popped and made me think. And I had so many questions about, like, what, what, is it, what does it mean when you stand in muddy water? You know, and, and he explained those things to me, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, you can't stand in muddy water and stir and expect it to be clear. And mm-hmm. that's what that's what my life was all about. I was standing in muddy water with my arms and legs flailing about, waiting for the water to be clear, and it never became clear. You know, it was still muddy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I read uh, the Tao Te Ching. And in there it said, you know, can I be patient enough to wait until the mud settles and the water's clear for things to come to my head, for things for me to do, for me to act on? And that's what I, that's what I went with. You know, I started calming down. I started meditating. I meditated in a cell block that was louder than an airport mm-hmm. at, at times. You know, so I learned how to meditate with clamor and, and noise around me. And uh, I started out with two minutes and five minutes, and it's progressed to where, you know, I can go for long periods of time and get great meditations, and I can go for long periods of time and only get 10 or 15 minutes of meditation in, but at least I've done it. You know, I've freed myself of the, the clamor that goes on in our heads, our first thoughts and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. Yeah, that's you really know, something. You know, that's what got me started, you know, really uh-huh. is Taoism. As somebody saying to me, you know, Christianity is not the only way you need to go. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, learn something, read. I learned how to read again in prison. You know, I had gone away from books that weren't uh, success-oriented and business-type books, you know, and I, I, I really lost the peace. But, you know, my nature being, and uh, I gained it back through reading. I really did, and asking questions, of course. You know, if I had just read and been quiet, I don't think as much would have occurred. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a book, there's a, one of the readings in the book by Stephen Mitchell was uh, about the archer, you know, and the archer pulls back his bow and he seeks his target, and he misses, the archer turns around and seeks the 
a myth and it's, it's a failure in himself. And that's what I had to do. I had to find out why I was, my intentions were good and my outcomes were bad. You know, mm-hmm. I, I never realized that intention was a noun and not a verb. You mm-hmm. know, so I learned how to set intentions and find the verb that goes along with it to make it an action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were there yeah, other people? Intentions. Right. Yeah. Were there other people besides your friend who's a Muslim who you were talking with or not? Were there other people uh, that you were in contact uh, with? In recovery, in recovery in, in, in the penitentiary is uh, minimal at best. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I was in, you were not allowed to carry uh, a big book. Um, so you had to go to the library to read that. Or once a week, a meeting was brought in from outside people if they allowed it and we weren't on lockdown and so many, so many stuff, you know, that could block that. Um, so my spiritual recovery happened faster than my, my, uh, program of recovery. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my recovery program was, was totally spiritual in the pen. Um, I, I did read the big book. I did start my steps in there and, uh, I got through all 12. <laughs> all right. Did, but, yeah. Did you have a sponsor or not? in? Uh, no, I, I used this gentleman. He was in that program also. So uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, he understood and, and uh, I felt comfortable with him because prison's not an atmosphere where you talk about weakness. Mm-hmm. It's a predator atmosphere. And if they know your weakness, I mean, I had to look out a little crinoline window, which is like five inches wide and maybe 36 inches tall. So you can barely get your eyes in it. And mm-hmm. I can remember before this process started, I'd look out that window and look for weaknesses and people going by. Mm-hmm. And after that, I, I used to have a compassion statement that I made. And I don't know where I got this, but, you know, it starts out just like me. This person is seeking happiness in his life. Just like me, this person is just trying to end suffering, you know, and I just kept going on that and going on that and it changed the way I felt. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it was a, it was a long process. I did not get this all at once. Mm-hmm. How did your day to day, and you just shared with us one, it was, I love that, your compassion prayer. Yeah. Remembering yeah, that everybody's, <laughs> I love that. How else did your day, daily life change because you were becoming uh, different and more spiritually oriented? Well, I, I turned from seeking the things I used to seek, which was the people that had the things I wanted, you know, from being a taker to being compassionate and understanding in a place like a penitentiary. Um I figured if I could do it there and succeed and live through it, then I could do it on the outside without a problem. My intentions when I started all this was to have a life when I got released that was pure, more pure than it was when it went in. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. And uh, along the way, I was blessed with people and places and penitentiaries and guards and jobs and opportunities that I probably wouldn't have had had I not started Seeking, you know, recovery help, spiritual help, a different way, you know, letting mm-hmm. life occur as opposed to me trying to dictate what, where my life was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's like, um, that's uh, beautiful, Scott, and I appreciate you sharing this with us. It was like, sound like you were really, really willing to make a shift from that self-centric survival into nope gotta gotta live on this planet with other people sounds like you Mm -hmm. were and are willing to to really do that and that's thank you for sharing that that i'm touched by that i am it's not easy but like you know somebody told me life is good but it's not easy Uh so for for me to get this and and i wish that i got that when i was a child but I didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. that's just a a wish. And I didn't, and I realized that, but 
mm-hmm. I get more feeling of compassion and love from other people than I do from myself, which is the way I used to be. I used to find all my love was me. If I was high and drunk and in a relationship, I was good. Today, I'm in a relationship. My prayers in prison were far short of the relationship I'm in today, not only with my God, but with the lady that lives in the home with me here now and my, uh, my community at Unity Church of Peace here in Port Charlotte. And, uh, you know, my, my community of people in recovery, I, 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 I cut my prayers. I cut God really short in prison. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I pray for his good and his will, and that's it. Uh-huh. Well, tell us more about that. I know, as you just said, you're a, a member of Unity Church, and also I believe that you practice Buddhism. So I do. How did how did you get involved in those spiritual paths, and how does that affect you? What was that? What does that bring to well, you? Well, Taoism really took me into the Buddhist path. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know more about suffering and how to how to stop it or recognize it at least, you know, so I could recognize I was suffering or, or digging another grave for myself. And uh, so I got into that, and uh, I got into it more as a like a recovery program, really, than, than a religion. You know, I believe today it's more of a belief system than it truly is what we call religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked up the, the, the meaning of religion and a concordance, and it would it told me that it meant bind again, and I didn't want to be bound. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like Buddhism because they give you a lot of suggestions. You know, the Four Noble Truths are that we all suffer. And I'm not talking about illness as much as I'm talking about anger and fear and rage and anxiety and that kind of suffering. And to get rid of it, we have to figure out what created it, what creates the suffering in us. And then once we figure out what created it, we can start on working on ceasing that suffering. And that leads you right to the Eightfold Path where your thinking needs to change. You know, the Eightfold Path is right view, right thinking, right speech, right action, mindfulness, concentration, diligence, and livelihood. If you can do all that, you're a better being. Amen. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I got into it, and it hit me. You know, it, it was it was perfect for me at the time. And today, it's not my soul part, because like I said, I belong to unity, but how I got to unity was through the lady that I live with now, my significant other, as we'll call her, mm-hmm. and uh, I felt that because I was dating her at the time, that I was obligated to go to her place of worship, or not even worship, her place of spiritual food, mm-hmm. just to see where she was coming from, and to be a uh, a, a, a significant other, you know, a functioning significant other, you know, on her behalf. I, I went on her behalf. And uh, the lessons that they gave on Sunday were, uh, oh, they were food for thought. They were really touching to me. Uh, the people in the in the, the congregants um, were super people, love. You could feel love as soon as you walked into the building, you know, and, and they didn't waver from that. You know, the next lesson that for the next week was like that and so on and so forth. And this went on for probably eight months of going every week with her. And finally I walked up to the to our our minister and told her that uh I'd like to join the church but I didn't want Alicia to know. And uh so we went through the process on the sly and uh which was hard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one day, one day, our preacher Susan says, uh, "I'd like to introduce a new member of our church," and called me up, and I just watched about twenty jaws drop because <laughs> I was a staunch Buddhist. I walked in there, I went to their book studies a couple of times and stuff like that, and they'd say their pieces about how uh, you know metaphysically this and metaphysically that. And I'd say, well, you know, in real honesty, if you look at it like this, you know, and I'd go off in my Buddhist rant, but I found myself more and more going off into a unity Buddhist rant 
And then pretty soon it was, you know, Buddhism got me to hear what's next. So All I right. gave in. Well, hold on to that thought. It's time for okay. our break. But I want to hear this. I want to hear what's next. So uh, our topic today is practicing the presence. My guest is Scott L., a person in long-term recovery, and he's sharing with us the great transformations in his life. We'll be right back. In his new book, What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug?, Daryl Fuzaro emphasizes the positive effects of applying unity principles in everyday situations. Laura Harvey, editor of Daily Word magazine, exclaims Daryl Fuzaro shares his life lessons with inspiring creativity. This book is encouraging, funny, and heartwarming, a combination I highly recommend. As co-host of Unity Online Radio's Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed, Daryl's old-school charm and no-nonsense approach to spirituality keep a global audience laughing and inspired. What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug is loaded with Daryl's hilarious, award-winning illustrations and packs his wit and wisdom into easy-to-digest, bite-sized stories of how he transforms chaos into tranquility and succeeds in the entertainment business by doing the opposite of everyone else. What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug is a pocket Bible encouraging the talented and timid to trust their gut act on their intuition, and step out boldly. Even if you just bought it for the chapter titles and Daryl Fuzaro's illustrations alone, you'd be getting more than your money's worth with this book. Author and film critic Sister Rose Pucati says, Spending time with Fuzaro's stories will leave you no choice but to smile and carry on. Oh, he forgot to mention he hangs out with a group of nuns, but then, if he had, it would have necessitated a change to some of his more colorful adjectives. Have fun ordering your copy of What If Godzilla Just Wanted a Hug today on Amazon.com. At Metaphysical Rock 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. And if you're just joining us, our topic today is practicing the presence. And my guest is Scott L. Scott is a person in long term recovery. And he is sharing with us how his life has moved from addiction and incarceration into a deep commitment to his spiritual life and spiritual practice. So, Scott, before the break, you were telling us how you uh, you uh, still practice Buddhism, I believe, but that you're also yep, that your your uh, spiritual life is also even expanded. So, uh, through twelve twelve step programs, through Buddhism, and now through uh, your involvement with Unity. So, you were sharing with us how you uh, became a a member of Unity, and you said that the congregation there was surprised because they didn't know you were planning to become a member of that church. So, uh, what propelled you? Why did you want to become a member of a Unity Church? Love. Uh-huh. Love. It was the first spiritual building I think I'd ever been in where they talked about love and walked about love. Um, they showed it. They spoke it. They read it. They lived it. They really do. I, I, and from what I hear about other Unities, I've only been in one other one, um, but it's the same. And uh, if you can teach and practice and do that, then I'm interested. 
because, uh, you know, compassion and understanding is what I went in there with from Buddhism. And, uh, you know, I, I think I found a whole lot more than that. You know, I think I found, you know, a way, a oneness. You know, I always thought the religion or belief systems or whatever you want to call them were separate. And, and I think a lot of them try to be. You know, we, they try to separate themselves from, from others, let's mm-hmm. say. And there was a commonality, a oneness. You know, I felt whole in those buildings. And uh, that was different for me. That was a first. You know, it really was a first. Um, it almost, you know, to liken it to something, it, I likened it to almost the meditation. Because while I was there, I felt free. I could be me. Nobody judged me because I was Buddhist. Nobody came up to me. I didn't hear murmurs or rumors or or gossip, you know, oh, Scott did this or Scott did that or why can't he come to believe or why doesn't he get saved and join our church or whatever. You know, I didn't hear any of that. There was no pressure. There was, they accepted me as a Buddhist, period. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to join our church. Come join our fellowship, join our lessons on Sundays, you know, join our book studies, this and that. And they never pressured me. And, and I like that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that hit home. But I like the way the people walk, you know. Mm-hmm. Their mouths aren't open. They're doing what they're taught, and they're, they're showing it, you know. They show it in their community. They show it at unity. So, you know, it's, it, that, that caught me, you know, the, sure. the genuine interest in people as they are, you know. Mm-hmm. How has your, yeah, that's, yeah, that's so good to hear. I I think probably all people, I know I'm always looking for that within myself and other people, like where's, where is it genuine? Where, how can I walk my talk? Where right. are people? And am I comfortable doing it? Because if you're not comfortable doing it, which is good, you know, because then you're just stating what you believe, but. If you're comfortable doing it, then your growth is so much faster, I think, you know, and that's all I'm here for is to grow now in spirituality. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to, I can't get enough so much. I've been a member now, oh, going on almost two years and I want to become a licensed unity teacher and take it into prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I'm looking at now, but we've been without a minister for a year, so that's been put on hold for a year. <laughs> yeah. We got one. We got one starting July 1st, though. A lovely oh, lady from Austin, Texas. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. So you'll you'll get back on track then with your classes yeah. and moving toward yeah. that goal. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what do you a, think? A leader, you know. For sure. What do you think it'll be like yeah. uh, to take Unity Ideas into a prison? Uh, not so much different than any other. Um, you know, Unity, Buddhism, the 12-step programs, I think they're all basically the same. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you got the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold, that's 12. In Unity, you got the 12 Powers. And recovery programs, you got the 12 Steps, 12 Traditions, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. I don't think it's that far off. Mm-hmm. And... and uh, I can't argue with love. I can't. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, it, if it makes me feel this way, if I can make another person know that when they get out of prison, they can feel this way, more than happy to do it. Mm-hmm. More than mm-hmm. happy. Because it's not an easy road to hold. Because most convicts get out of the pen. They've got parole or probation. And not short times. You know, I was blessed with only one year. But I was also blessed with a, a, a wonderful PO, you know, an understanding PO. And, and, and it wasn't from my doing, I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, it was God's hand touching me again. You know, here's a, here's a wonderful PO for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I don't know, I think that's where my story goes, is in back into the wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there is hope, you know. Hope's the one thing you don't want a whole lot of in a penitentiary. It, it, you know, it gives you false ideas. That's what they say. You know, all of a sudden you're yearning for the outside again, and that's a bad idea. So don't mm-hmm. hope. But hope is mm-hmm. what got me through. 
mm-hmm. you know, hoping for one, for me to have a better life by the time I was released. You know, a new outlook on life. You know, that, that you don't get rehabilitation in prison. You have to search it out and seek it yourself. Somebody doesn't come up to you and say, here's a couple of classes you, you're, you're put in and these will help you out and these will do that. No, you got to get off your duff, stand up and look. You know, I, I had to go uh, interview for jobs in the penitentiary. You know, when I walked out and I got a job in a, in a area which suited my personality and, and my liking of of woodworking and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, I don't know. That's where I feel my calling is today. That might change, mm-hmm. as, as Charles says, tomorrow, but today that's what I feel. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's good. You know, yeah, it uh, makes... Today may change tomorrow. <laughs> that's right. But it sounds like that you're, again, maybe that's a, a, a wonderful uh, gift from your life and uh, not that, you know, difficult things are not, I'm not uh, minimizing that. And yet all that happens to us turn, really can turn into a gift, you know, that we have to give back for sure. Yeah. I'm sorry that I had to go through that to learn my lesson, but I did. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't look down on it today. Uh, I'm grateful for it. I got to, when I was released, I got the opportunity to go back and see my original sentencing judge. And after a great deal of years, he looked down and he said, Mr. Ludwig, you look like a completely different person. Mm-hmm. And I said, Judge? He goes, hold that thought. He goes, goes through his whole spiel. He goes, I want to see, I was still in shackles and handcuffs. And he goes, I want to see Mr. Ludwig in my quarters with no shackles, no handcuffs, no guard, no nothing. And I got to have half an hour spending time with my hanging judge. Mm. Wow. (laughs) What was that like for you? uh, It was a blessing and a curse. You know, my evil side that I still had touch with, wanted to choke him, and the good side wanted to give him a big hug, and I knew I couldn't do that. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. you know, I got to tell him, look, you were the best thing that ever happened to me. Initially. Mm-hmm. And it put me on this path. He goes, I can see it. He goes, I can see it in your face. And I look at, I, he goes, I look at criminals all day long. He goes, I can see it in your face. He goes, I can see it in the way you hold yourself. He goes, as soon as I saw your face, I remembered the day we had in court. And, you know, it was, it was a blessing. It what really was. I was amazed. You know, he made sure I had the bus ticket and money in my pocket and everything else to leave and set me on my way. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he killed the process for me of hanging around there until the feds paid off at midnight and getting released in the middle of the night in mm-hmm. the big city for the first time. So, you know, it was it was good. It was good. You know, mm-hmm. the, the anger of, of, of the trial and, and signing up. Uh, <clears throat> A plea agreement was gone. You know, I, I, I dealt with it, but I don't think I ever dealt with it. You know, that was making my amends, mm-hmm. I guess, with him. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that is such a incredible, uh, you said the earlier t- today that a gu- you got a kiss from God. It sounds like you've gotten a lot of wonderful kisses from God throughout I've your life. For him, Anna. <laughs> I've worked for uh-huh. sweat and tears that worked. <laughs> That's I've yeah. I've been spanked and I've been kissed. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. 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 Like you said. Yeah. But you could have all. I couldn't ask for life to be any different right now. Uh-huh. I really couldn't. I, I am uh-huh. blessed beyond measure right now. Uh huh. It's like you know. Sometimes Scott, the, there's a term called a generative person, and that's a person that takes what life uh, hands them or and and uses it to generate good. And it sounds like that's the kind of person you are. I try. Mm-hmm. That is my intention in the morning when I wake up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To better someone else, you know, and I've learned that through doing that, it, it makes me a better human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What final words of wisdom were coming to the close of our time here today for our program. Uh, what words of wisdom do you have to share with the listeners? I would uh, have to say, words. you know, 
my food for thought in leaving your lovely program is don't look for happiness in others or things. Look for look within. That's where the, you'll find happiness. Um, that's where I found it, and I wish that on everybody I meet. Scott, thank you. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for being my guest today. And, um, You're so welcome. Yeah, it's great to have you, and I appreciate um, all that you've shared today, and thank you for sharing your story and your uh, your recovery process, and um, you've really touched my heart, and I know you've touched the heart of everybody that's listening. So thank you for doing it. Thank Thanks you. for being who you are. Yep, glad you've been my guest today. And thank you all for listening, and uh, have a wonderful week. Be blessed, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. to be sacred activists in service of compassion and justice, we may find ourselves asking, how do we become a sacred activist? Institute for Sacred Activism founder Andrew Harvey says, follow your heartbreak. His advice echoes Gandhi, who once said, whenever you are in doubt, apply the following test. Recall the face of the poorest and the weakest person whom you may have seen, and ask yourself if the step you contemplate is going to be of any use to them. Will they gain anything by it? Will it restore them to a control over their own life and destiny? So, whenever in doubt about the direction of your life, just ask yourself, what breaks my heart? Whose suffering is simply too much to bear? And then commit your life to alleviate it. Don't turn your face away from the pain and injustice that is so prevalent in our world. Courageously bear witness to it. And in prayer, dedicate your life to healing it. Gain more spiritual insight. Listen to Radical Spirituality and Sacred Activism with Adam Bucko, Mondays at 4 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to focus your attention inward with these words from Elizabeth Searle Lamb. This is a new day. Lead your conscious mind to that still haven of your soul where your indwelling Christ opens wide the doorway of your heart. At once, mind, soul, and body, you are flooded with the light and love of God. You are lifted high above this earthly plane and filled with the radiance of spirit. Send this love and light on to those whom you hold dear so that it may uplift, heal, and comfort them. As you send this radiance on, you are filled with a new sense of God's power, and you release this power to the whole world to uplift, guide, and bless all people. A day's tasks await you. But God is with you, and with God's help, all shall be done perfectly. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life? 
and live the gift that you are. Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.